0: Five, Matthew chapter five tonight. We'll uh, we'll be there in a little bit. Um, But I want to I want to take a few minutes and and talk about something that is different, but that is relevant to our study in the uh, book of Matthew uh, with the Sermon on the Mount. And that is um, even though it's not a part of the Sermon on the Mount, it it helps understand. I think it, it helps me understand uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So, um, have you ever wondered why it seems like, and the, the, the word I want to emphasize the word seems, that there are differences between the four Gospels? Okay, uh, you can you can read a story. And it's a little different than one of the other gospels. Um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> um, uh, why is why you know why does one gospel emphasize a certain part of a story, where another another one of the gospels emphasizes a different part of the same story? Uh, just just uh, I think it was yesterday. Uh, Melanie and I were talking, and she this morning taught on the uh, the little boy with the the, the um, loaves of bread and the fish. <clears throat> and she she asked me a question, and I did not know this, but she she said, "Did you realize that that story only appears in one of the gospels?" Oh, the little boy portion of it. Oh, the portion of it. Okay, the story uh, is in other other gospels uh, uh, but the the little boy is only mentioned in one of them um, and have you ever wondered why that is It's the author's <laughs> perspective Yeah okay uh, Well, they portray him a king or savior They different Okay see I, under i said sentence the the author's perspective is a lot of it because even though well, let's let's rephrase that, the writer's perspective, okay? Um, because who is the author of the Bible? God is, okay. God's the author, but he used the personalities of the writers to to write uh, the different books of the Bible. Um, so we see, like in Paul's life, we see Paul's personality woven in to the gospel. Uh, to the to the um, the books that Paul wrote. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's yeah doing a good job. Um, I have I have a picture for you, and this this these kind of things help me uh, because uh, as you guys know, I'm a visual learner. Um, but the, you have the four Gospels over here to the left, and then. Across the top is different categories. So the Gospels are presented as the audience, the emphasis, uh, the beginning, and the end. Uh, so understanding these things helps, I believe, helps uh, as you read through the Gospels. And if anybody wants a copy of this, I'm sure uh, we can we can make a copy of this if anybody wants one. I just snagged it off the Internet. But... <clears throat> Matthew writes from the perspective of Jesus being king. Uh, he uh, his audience is the Jews. The emphasis of his writing is prophecy being fulfilled. Uh, he starts with Abraham and David, and he ends with the resurrection. Okay, uh, Mark uh, presents Jesus as a servant. His audience is the Romans. Why why is this, this, you know, because Jesus is writing to the Jews, he's presenting Jesus as king or the Messiah, okay? But Mark, his audience is the Romans, but he's presenting Jesus as a servant. Why is that so important? John? Well it's just as important as a, who he's writing. Matthew, Matthew and Blueberg, completely different people right. it's they're writing to completely different audiences. Again, it's the same the same story, but it's presented by different people. But it's it's presented in a different way because the Romans didn't need to see Jesus as king, they needed to see Jesus as a servant okay and and the next one, the Greeks, Luke was primarily writing to the Greeks, um, and he presents Jesus as being man. okay, the humanity of Jesus. Now, why is that so important for Luke? He was a physician, and he understood the 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 physical makeup of a man. John wrote to. Mankind, and he presents Jesus as God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word, uh, and anyway, I messed that up. Uh, <laughs> and the Word was God. Um, so the, these these to, to me, it helps when I'm reading the Gospels to understand who is writing <clears throat> primarily for me, this column is the most important. Who, who, who is the audience? See, when I'm reading Matthew, I understand that the audience are, is Jews. And Matthew is going to be making a lot of references to the law and different things. Where <clears throat> Luke probably isn't going to be making a lot of references to the law. Now, who can tell me, out of the four Gospels, which of the four Gospels the Christmas story appears? Nope. Okay, Luke is one of them. Why? Okay, let's, let's talk about this. Why does the Christmas story appear in Luke? because he came as a man okay where's the other one? okay John and Matthew the the, the 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 Christmas story only appears in Matthew and Luke you won't find the Christmas story in in Mark or John in fact what does what does what does John start with son of God, well he starts with the Son of God but uh, I'm thinking <laughs> one, one, one. <laughs> yeah okay so, so understanding who the audience is how the author or, or excuse me the writer is presenting Christ and then the emphasis of what he's trying to accomplish what God is trying to accomplish through the through the writers <clears throat> so uh, any any questions about this because this this things like this help me when I'm reading to to understand a lot of what's going on. <clears throat> so any any questions before we before we move on? Yes. Right. right, right. Okay. Anything else before we move on? Okay. <clears throat> Question, and hopefully you know this because I told you to turn there earlier. But what book of the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> In the book of Matthew. Why is it so important? that Matthew be the one that records the sermon on the mount <laughs> Yeah, Chris 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 took away your cheating chart. <laughs> okay, why why is it so important? Can you put it back up, Chris? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay, the book of Matthew why why is it so important? Okay, who who is his audience? The teenager should know all of this. Oh, the teenager should. Okay. All right. John? Her hands up. Her hands up. Oh. No, hands up. Oh, okay, Lily. Lily, go ahead and answer it. I asked the to to like near the end of the so isamount. Okay, so, well, he just left. Uh, <clears throat> John? It was written, Matthew's primarily addressed to the Jews. Matthew was the Jew, but Jesus is the sign. is the one that they were all looking for. Right. The on the Mount is essentially where Judaism begins and Christianity begins. That is the fulfillment. That's the foundation of Christianity. Okay. He presents Jesus, or Jesus presents. <coughs> uh, uh, is presented as king, and his audience are the Jews. I mean, it's it, it, is, it makes perfect sense to me that John would not record the Sermon on the Mount, although he could have. But God chose, in his wisdom, to have Matthew record it because Matthew's perspective of being a Jew is going to be a lot different. And he's going to bring out points... And so on and so forth that are going to be different. So, <clears throat> as we start to look at the Sermon on the Mount, I have kind of in my mind. Okay, Chris, you can go ahead and take it down. Um, I have kind of in my mind uh, created three three divisions of the Sermon on the Mount. We we we're going to see uh, in in uh, chapter five uh, our character. Okay, he's gonna uh, chapter five really focuses in on the character of men Uh, chapter 6 we're going to see our relationship with God and then chapter 7 we're going to see our relationship with others so those are the the three basic uh, divisions Um, but as we unfold chapter 5 our character um, I've I have struggled with trying to illustrate what Jesus does primarily in chapter five, <clears throat> really through the whole sermon, but in chapter five more than more than more than most. Um, how, how many of you, and I'm giving away my age here, how many of you remember the TV show Get Smart? Okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Get smart. How did how did the the, the the TV show start? Did anybody remember? He pulls up in his little sports car to the curb and he jumps out and then what does he do? Okay, he goes into the building, Rick. What happens? Yeah, he walks down the hallway with all the doors. And and he one one opens and there's another door the, that door closes it and then the, that door you know and it's just a series of doors and then what happens when he gets to the end he goes into the phone booth and he disappears okay <laughs> so as as Jesus is presenting the sermon on the mount primarily in chapter 5 it is a series of doors or gates. But for for our point tonight, uh, we're going to st- we're going to call them layers. Okay? There's a series of layers that Jesus is going to start peeling back in our lives. And and I I chose to go with the the idea of a layer because <clears throat> what what happens when God reveals a layer of sin in our lives. Can can it kind of hurt sometimes? I I think of I think of the you know the old saying of you know referring to someone, oh, they're like an onion. You just gotta peel them back one layer at a time. And 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 I feel like sometimes that's what God does in our lives is He just peels back a layer and He reveals something to us. So as so we start to go through this, kind of keep that in mind because the, the Sermon on the Mount is a very deliberate sermon. It is not just a series of random comments, uh, these you know, random feel-good, wisdom-filled sayings. Each one of them has a purpose, and each one of them builds on the next. So, as we understand the sermon, uh, we need to understand that it goes against modern day culture. Everything Jesus taught goes against everything that our culture teaches us today. Well, the Jewish culture, too, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> Because, what is what is the one thing that God is after in your life? Okay, your heart. Why why does God want your heart? Okay, if He has your heart, then the rest of it is is, is mute. You know, people. You know, people. Uh, for for for, I'm I would assume centuries have have not come to church because they're afraid that that you know God wants their wallet. You, you know, so people will hold back. But there's only one thing God wants from us, and that's our hearts, because if God has our hearts, then He has all of us. And the Sermon on the Mount is a sermon that <clears throat> literally is a revealer of the different layers of our hearts. And as we go through this, you will see what I'm talking about. <clears throat> so uh, Matthew, <clears throat> oh, I have, a, I have another picture for you, <clears throat> Uh th- these are the Beatitudes. Okay, so you see it here. Okay, take it down. Okay. Those of us who grew up in Sunday all had to memorize those. Okay, how many of you how many of you can name one of the Beatitudes? Okay, name one. Blessed are the four spirit. Okay. Another one. Blessed are the meat for they shall inherit beer. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Persecuted. Okay. That's five. Three more. Peacemakers. Okay. That's seven. Got yeah, one more. There you go. Hey, I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Okay. You can put it back up. I don't know if you can read this, but um, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that mourn, uh, the meek, hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy, uh, the pure in heart, uh, the peacemakers, and then the persecuted. So these are the Beatitudes uh, that we're about to read in Matthew chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse 1. And it says, and seeing the multitude, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they, the prophets, which were before you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, thank you for this, this, this sermon that you gave us. And Lord, as we spend time uh, this, this evening uh, starting this incredible message, we ask your God that you would help us to see the different layers in our lives. And Lord, start to show us the need of our own lives that we need to incorporate into our into our lives. We are truly thankful and grateful for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so who can tell me why they are called the Beatitudes? Is it because... Every one of those verses, well, all but I think all but one starts with a B, uh, blessed, the word blessed. Is that why it's called the Beatitudes? No, they're supposed to be our attitudes. There you go. Okay? <laughs> Boy, who's preaching here? You or me? <laughs> okay, no, that's it. No, these are characteristics that we are to be. Now, I wanna I wanna I wanna make a distinction here because It it may sound like I'm splitting hairs, but if you understand what I'm going, where I'm going, hopefully it'll make sense. They are not the do attitudes. They are the be attitudes. Okay. What is the difference between doing and being? Okay. Your will. Okay. 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 All right. All right. John? I see doing as a singular thing. If you're going to do something, there's an end to that. But if you do something. Okay. All right. There you go. Doing is a one time action, usually. Or at least it has an end. But when we be something, it is a change of character. And see, and that is, okay, at the, at the beginning I said, what is the one thing God is after in your life? And that's your heart. And what is, what is the one thing that is inter, interconnected with your heart? Your character. Your character reveals who you are. And Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly with the Beatitudes, is going right after our character. Yes! (laughs) Amen! G. Campbell Morgan wrote this. In the three chapters here, we have the Magna Carta of the kingdom. The character, excuse me, this chapter opens with a great revelation of its supreme condition. Character is everything. Character is everything. And that's why Jesus, in this incredible sermon, the first thing he does is he goes right after our character. Why? Because it is interwoven with our hearts. Because God's desire is to have your heart. The Beatitudes do not come naturally. Nothing worth having comes easy, right? It takes the Spirit of God revealing things in our lives and helping us grow that shapes our character. So, I have a really cool slide for you. The Beatitudes. Living right side up in an upside down world. <laughs> now, <laughs> I don't know about you, but every time I look at that, I get dizzy. <laughs> but don't, don't we live in an upside down world? Where the, thing, the things that we're going to be talking about in this sermon... The world is going to say you're crazy. But God says, no, 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 no. The world is upside down. I'm not upside down. Living right side up in an upside down world. Can anybody tell me what the word blessed means? We see it all through scripture. It's one of these words that we we throw around. And and if you're from the south, you hear it all the time. Bless your your pea picking heart. You know, I I have heard the word blessed by older southern women almost used as a curse word. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? You know they have a way of blessing you, but it's almost like a curse. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's like you know, yeah. But no, but what does the word blessed mean? Okay, okay. In the in in this in this right here, the word uh, uh, blessed translates happy. So what is God saying in Matthew chapter f- uh, five verses? Uh, 3 through 12. Do you want to be happy? How many of you want to be happy? Okay, we all want to be happy. So, if you want to be happy, and and I started thinking about this. <clears throat> have you, have you ever met a, a, a really good Christian that was dying that had just a spirit about them, and they were almost happy about dying. I I have, and 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 uh, yeah, Lori Lori definitely was one of those, yes, absolutely. But, um, it, it's it, it's almost unexplainable, but that's true happiness. And I've I thought often, I thought, you know. I wonder when it comes my time to to pass from this life to the next, am I going to be like that? I I, I hope so. That's my goal. Why? Because I want to experience... If I can be happy on this earth, then passing from this life to the next, it's going to be even better. You know, I, I, I... so why wouldn't I want to be happy? Now is happiness something that that is a feeling. Okay? We we associate happiness with with what? Happenings. Happenings. Okay? What is the the environment in which I am in either makes me happy or sad. Right? Is that happiness? You choose choose happiness. Can a person be happy in the midst of absolute chaos? I live that way. (laughs) 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 Yeah, poor Melody, yeah. Um, But see, we can be happy. Our circumstances have absolutely nothing to do with our ability to be happy or not. But what does the world tell us? The world tells us that our happiness needs to be tied to something. Right? Or someone. Or someone. But what happens with things and people? Things get rusty. Rusty. And people get fat, you, you know. Trust me, I know these things. <laughs> well, some of us. <laughs> well, let me let me put it to you this way. People decay, okay? Or if people are a nice, would be disagreeable, or Okay. So, if if our happiness is tied to a person or a thing... What's going to happen? To we're going to be disappointed. Eventually, we're going to be disappointed. So, layer number one. I think we're only going to get to one layer tonight. <clears throat> layer number one the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Let's look at verse 3. Happy or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now I want to say one thing again to help understand the Sermon on the Mount. Everything that Jesus taught here goes against the Jewish culture. Because what was the driving force in the in the Jewish culture it still is today prosperity power prosperity everything money and the very first thing out of his mouth is uh, uh, what what do we call it today countercultural Cu- counter-cul- counter uh, not woke <laughs> okay <laughs> Okay, you know, I, I I hate that word woke. By the way, I just hate it. Um, uh, but he was he was revolutionary in his teaching, and the the, the people that were listening to him were blown away by his his teaching because it is not what they were hearing from the synagogues. And the very first thing out of his mouth is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, simply put, the the poor in spirit here is acknowledging spiritual poverty, not physical poverty. Okay? Please understand this. Jesus is not talking about Physical wealth. He's talking about spiritual poverty. To genuine, to genuinely and sincerely uh, realize that I have nothing to offer God. Now, I, I I want you to think about this. Spiritually speaking, what do you and I? have to offer God. I mean, I mean, uh, John? Okay, we could offer praise, but I mean, as far as the as far as the 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 the, the big picture, we have nothing to offer. Now, <clears throat> if, uh, I'm going to pick on Brian because he's not going to be here for three weeks. <laughs> okay? If, if if I owned uh, another construction company and I needed to hire an electrician, I would go to Brian and I would say, hey, I want to hire you because, what? He has a lot to bring to the table, so to speak, right? He has a lot that, of, of life experience, uh, years and years of being an electrician and so on and so forth. that he could bring to my company. He has something to offer me to make my company better, right? Now, on the other hand, if I went to, I don't know, I'll pick on someone else, Uh, 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 Noah back here. And I said, Noah, I want to hire you. How old are you, Noah? 11, you know? Now, other than... You know, being able to do some manual labor, what has he got to offer? Not not a lot. He's got some, but but not a lot. Why, he's only eleven. and the And the reality is when when we go to God to serve him, what do we have? Nothing. The only thing we have, hopefully, is a willing heart. and to realize the poor in spirit this is the person who has nothing to bring to the table when i was in when i was in bible college i've shared this story before but i want to share it again when, when i was in bible college <clears throat> the president of the of the college his name is dr comfort uh, who by the way uh, will be here in september uh, he's he's in his 90s 80s, he's in his 80s now, he's no longer the president, he's president emeritus, uh, but he's going to be with us in a few weeks, September 18th, um, anyway, so um, uh, he, he uh, one of the teaching portions of our college was called Preacher Boys, and it was all the men who were studying to be pastors, it was a very large class, and <clears throat> he came in one time, and he, and he, and he told us a story that he had been uh, out west somewhere. He didn't say where. He just said he'd been out west somewhere. And a friend of his who had pastored a very large church out here in the west somewhere had been convicted of something and was in prison. And while he was out west, he went to visit his friend. And in the process of their conversation, he asked his friend, he said, he said, hey, tell me, how did you get here? Oh, he, he, he said, oh, that's easy. That's easy. He said, I, I am here because I thought God needed me. And when I got to the point where I thought God needed me, I felt like God would overlook my sin because he needed me. And he said, God took me down. In reality, this man, apparently, he never told us the name of the church, the situation, anything. have no clue. All he told us, It was a very large church somewhere here in the West. And God took them down. Why? Because God doesn't need us. We need Him. Isaiah, in his preaching, would... Use the word "woe." Okay, let me ask you a question. In the Old Testament, when the word "woe" was used, what 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 is that equivalent to? Stop. Yeah, stop, beware. I mean, it was a very strong word. And Isaiah, in his preaching to the nation of Israel, would use that word. And uh, let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter five. In verse 20 to 22, it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put dark for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. What, now now is is Isaiah right in all of these woes? Absolutely he is. His passion for the nation of Israel is revealed in his in his preaching, if you would. But I found it interesting. what did Isaiah say when he came face to face with God? Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through following. In the year that Uzziah, our King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood uh, the seraphims, each one had six wings, and with twain did cover his feet, and with twain his Uh, he covered his feet and with twain he did fly and one cried unto another saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts The the whole world is full of his glory and the posts of the doors moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke and I said woe is me Same word. Woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, the first layer that God shows us In verse 3 of the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes is the layer of genuine humility. Genuine humility. I have nothing to bring to the table. God does not need me. I need him. That is humility. That is genuine humility. Humility. In the Bible, wealth and worldliness are connected. Over here, I'll, I'll use this: a wealth and worldliness are over here. They, God always kind of connects those two things. And over here, He often will connect poverty and godliness. Okay, so it's important you kind of get this because <clears throat> He kind of He connects these two things often. In Mark chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says, uh, And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus an- uh, answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? Now, I want to stop right here. And there, what, is the, what is the key word in this, in this, in this sentence, in this verse? Trust. The key word right there is trust. Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches? Not that are rich, but that trust in. Can you trust in riches and be poor? Absolutely you can. So that the size of your bank account has nothing to do with this word riches. Riches. to trust in riches, to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why is that? Why is that? Because rich people tend to trust in their riches. Let me me illustrate it to you this way. If you make ten dollars, what should you give the Lord? A dollar, okay. Ten percent. Okay, if you make a hundred dollars, that would be ten dollars. If you make a thousand dollars, that would be a hundred dollars. Ten thousand would be a thousand, a hundred thousand, ten thousand. Yes, ma'am. No, I, I understand. I'm just, I'm just using it as a. Oh, oh, absolutely. New Testament, New Testament believers should give way more than ten percent. Just saying. But I'm just using it as a, as an illustration. Okay. So if we if we live by that, and you make ten dollars, giving God a dollar really isn't a big deal, right? But what if you make ten thousand? Writing, writing a check for thousand dollars hurts. right? Why? It's this It's the same percentage. You just keep adding zeros and it gets harder and harder. Why? It's, it, it is our trust factor. It's our trust factor. Poor in spirit does not mean poor in in your bank account. But it does mean to be dependent on God. And people with a lot of money need to be dependent on God just like people without a lot of money. We all need to be dependent on God. The poor in spirit. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance are, <coughs> uh, uh, excuse me, arrogance and the, uh, and the evil way are the forward mouth do I hate. You know, God hates pride, but he loves humility. Because the opposite of humility is what? Pride. Pride. God hates pride, but he loves humility. Humility is what Moses experienced uh, when he came face to face with God in in Exodus chapter 3. And and Moses uh, kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God even to Hebron, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the burning bush, uh, or the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush uh, is, is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes for, <clears throat> off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am God. Of, the, of thy father, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. What happened when Moses came face to face with God? He fell on his face. What did what did what happened to Paul? When Paul came face to face with God uh, on, on the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, it says, and, he was, uh, excuse me, and, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, uh, <clears throat> Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Uh, It it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go out of the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Humility. Paul came face to face with God. What did he do? He fell to the ground. Moses fell to the ground. And I could have have gone on and on and on with people who have come face to face with God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is the individual who understands I need him, he does not need me. That is what the poor in spirit is talking about. Let's pray.